WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 163, all about the Silmarillion, chapter 22 of The Ruin of Doriath. I said that way too cheerfully, being the 163rd part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I am reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today I'm joined by Caitlin. She is known in our corner of the internet as Tea with Tolkien. Welcome! Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, Your name has been one that listeners have suggested for a guest recommendation for... Um, I think it was it was even back when I was re- starting The Hobbit and I was looking for a whole new slate of guests and people were recommending you and um, My gosh. I'm, I'm glad that we finally have have made it happen. You're here now. Yeah, finally. It's been a, a long time trying to get our schedules to align. So oh my I'm glad god! We I mean, like I've had a crazy summer. You, yeah. At the last minute, you w- got to go to San Diego Comic Con, and that's so exciting. And yeah, I like I was literally just so excited for everyone who was there. So yeah, I'm glad we were able to find a find a date that worked. Um, since you have such a a great like wealth of knowledge, and I think a very um um. It, it feels like I'm learning from you from like the guides that you have for everything. You know, it makes it feel a lot more a- approachable going through some of the oh, things that you've posted and shared. It's really like nice. Yeah, that's so um, nice to hear. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of the times I'm just creating into the void and I don't get a lot of feedback. So it like, does feel like that, that sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> right. So knowing that it's helpful, it means a lot. I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. And like sometimes um, some of the like questions and things that you pose, I'm like, oh, that does make me think about something in a different way or make me interpret this in the way that it's supposed to be interpreted. And I'm like, oh, I totally misread that. Okay, good catch or something, you know. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about your history with Lord of the Rings or Tolkien? How did you get introduced to this this crazy man's life and pieces of of fiction? (laughs) It actually started when I was about nine or 10. And the first Lord of the Rings movie had come out on DVD. And someone had given the DVD of it to my dad for his birthday. And my dad is such a Star Wars guy. He's, he's really into sci-fi and he's not into fantasy at all. So, you know, he was really polite opening the present, but then he was kind of like, what am I going to do with this? I'm not really that interested <laughs> in this story. But when I saw the DVD, I was like, what is this? And I watched it like as soon as I could. And then uh, I was obsessed ever since then. And I was learning how to write my name in Elvish and uh, just like, diving deeper and deeper. So this was when I was like 10. And after that, um, eventually I started reading the books because I figured out, oh, wait, these movies are based on mm-hmm. books. And then um, like throughout high school, anytime we'd have to do a project, whether it was an art class or English class, I would find some way to incorporate Tolkien. Like we had to do oh, a calligraphy great. project. So I'm like, well, I'm going to do a line from The Lord of the Rings. Or we had to do like literary devices and I'm like well these devices are used in the Lord of the Rings so yeah <laughs> I just kind of became like that your classic like really nerdy kid um just totally obsessed and then as I've grown up it's just 
Tolkien has been something that has been so constant in my life and really, especially in hard times, something that's like carried me through difficult seasons with his message of hope and the way yeah. that yeah. the suffering in Lord of the Rings has meaning and not even just the Lord of the Rings, like all of Tolkien's work. It always has meaning and there's always like purpose to everything. Coming off of the tale of the previous chapter, Turin Turimbar, I'm kind of wondering about the validity of that statement, whether or not everything <laughs> has a meaning and a purpose, just because that chapter was, woo, uh, so- yeah, something that- else. And I'm, and I literally finished it and was like, what was the point of that? So yeah, that's maybe one of those chapters where you just like sit there and cry. Oh my <laughs> gosh, like- it just like kept coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, this chapter isn't really any different. Um, yeah, and this, yeah, it, f- listeners, it's all downhill from here. Right. <laughs> like, then these next, I think there's only, I think I only have, like, three chapters left to go through, which is crazy, but they're all bad, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even spoiling anything by saying that, because the title of this chapter is The Ruin of Doriath, so we right. already know something, you know, something bad's happening in this chapter. Right. After the those <laughs> eventful dramatics of Turin Turimbar, um, Morgoth decides that he can release Hurin. Um, who reminder, Hurin has been um, captive and he was cursed to watch everything with Morgoth's eyes. Um, so everything that happened to Turin, Huron was also watching, which just adds another element of horror to it. I know, it's so sad. <laughs> but in this curse, he also, of course, it's Morgoth. He, you know, bends the truth and adds like, you know, another lens, another filter that, um, that, that throws his own lies and deception into what Huron is seeing. So everything is kind of like bent just a little bit, and he's seeing it with a lot more evil undertones to, to it. So he decides that he's done... He's done messing with Huron now. He's like, you know what? This, you know, like, I, I'm i going to get a lot more mileage out of you if I let you go. Right. So- because he sees that he's getting old now and he remembers like, oh, wait, these guys are going to die. Soon yeah, men because- die. Right. Right. <laughs> so he's like, I don't want to spend this whole time just torturing him here. I have to torture him elsewhere as well. Yeah, it's getting a little boring for me. We got to like reinvent the torture wheel. Um yeah, so he releases him. Um, however, he, as he returns back to his homeland of Hithlum, he is also, he like arrives around the same time or he is arriving with a pack of Morgoth's servants who are like also traveling in that area. And so it looks like to the Easterlings and to Huron's men, not necessarily like his men, but the non-Easterling like men. Kind of. Yeah, his kinsfolk. Yeah. The Easterlings are like, oh, cool. He's on our side now. And they, you know, applaud him. And his own people, his own kin, kind of shun him. So that's, you know, great that you get out of being tortured and being captured for, uh, you know, it had to have been at least 30 years, given how old Turin was. Right. I think it was 20. I think it, I think he said it's 28 years. 28 years. Okay. I was pretty close, though. I'm proud yeah. of myself with that one. So <laughs> I just had it written down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's been tortured for 28 years and he gets let go and he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to go to my homeland. And then his people turn their backs on him being like, oh, you're evil now. Like, we don't 
we're not sure about you anymore. That's got to, I mean, like the hits just keep on coming with this. It's got to sting for sure because he's, he's suffered so much. And instead of having a release from the suffering, he just suffers more in a, a new way. Yes. And it, kind of just like keeps going for the rest of the right. chapter. Right. Um, so he leaves Hithlum and he tries to find Gondolin again. Uh, a reminder for everyone that when Huron and Huar were much younger, they were dropped off in Gondolin by the eagles and they were welcomed there by Turgon. Um, but they were led out with you know, secrecy. So he doesn't know where it is, but he knows that he would be welcome if he were to find it. Um, So he's kind of like standing around where he thinks it might be. And we also get some like narration exposition explaining that there's only one way into Gondolin now and that any other entrances because of all the battle has been blown apart or... um, there was uh, a river. Oh, it says the dry river. I thought it said a river dried up, but it's called the dry river. So never mind. <laughs> oh, I, I was um, listening in the audiobook, so I didn't catch that. That's funny. I, I mean, my, you know, I, I do my best to read every detail, but, you know, sometimes your brain just connects dots that aren't right. even there. So I, th- yeah, so I thought a whole river had dried up and I was like, wow, that really shows like how desolate everything has become during the late. No, it's literally just called the dry river. So <laughs> he so he's like standing there kind of screaming to the to the winds, to whoever will listen, being like, please, some like some, Turgon, hear me. Someone come and help me and bring me to Gondolim. Well, the good news is that the eagles happen to be flying by, and they hear it. So the leader, Throndor, goes and tells Turgon that Huron is out there, and he is, he, you know, he's been let go, or he escaped Angband, and he wants to come to Gondolin. But Turgon is like, you must be mistaken, or you must be lying to me or trying to trick me because there's no way that Morgoth would have just let him go. You know, there, there's no way. And then Thorondor says, if the eagles of Manwe were wont to err thus, then long ago, Lord, your hiding would have been in vain. I love that, that he's like, right? He's like Please. so sassy. Yeah. He's like, come on. Like, I'm an eagle of Manwe. Like, don't, do not try and tell me that I'm wrong. Yes. And he's like, also, we would have told we like we could have told your secret by now. If we were against you in any way, you would be long gone by now. <laughs> right. So Turgon isn't super sure about this. He is very hesitant to go let Huron in because he knows that he's like some something's up. You know, why would more unless Morgoth has been defeated and Huron escaped, you know, or or there's no way that he is just here and it's not a trap or or something. He knows that something's happening. Um and then Thorondor leaves and Turgon sits there and thinks about it some more and he changes his mind eventually. But then it was too late because when the eagles are sent back out to find him, he's already gone and they don't know where he went. So there's right. just like another piece of, of tragedy that happened to him. Well, and there's this quote at the end of that um, after Huron is calling out 
uh, he doesn't realize that the servants of Morgoth are listening. And right. uh, so Tolkien writes, this was the first evil that the freedom of Hurin achieved because he completely gave away what region Gondolin is in now. And so Morgoth is able to like fully focus on that area. Yes. Yeah. When he was, yeah, like screaming out to, I guess, whoever would be there to listen, screaming out to, you know, the gods or something. Right. Um. He, yeah, he like states his exact location. I know. And so, like, whoops. <laughs> so much for the hidden kingdom. Yeah. I know. Um. But yeah, that's so, it, it's so sneaky and smart of him. And, um, I think in my notes when I was when I was reading this and taking notes, I I referred to Huron as like a sleeper agent where he's been let go, but he is doing he's not doing the bidding of Morgoth, but through him, Morgoth is able to do more evil. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and like use him, you know, as a puppet to to get these things done. And yeah, so now he he knows where well, he doesn't know where it is or how to get there, but he knows roughly where yeah. it is. He knows like what region it's in, which is a lot more than he knew yes. beforehand. Yeah, he knew like nothing before. And um, I think after the most recent big battle, I think he knows who Turgon is now. But previously, he didn't even know of the existence of Turgon and Gondolin. So this is a big deal. Right. Heron is wandering around and he falls asleep and then he wakes up hearing the voice of Morwen and she is singing in lamentation and calling out to him. And it's like, oh, cool. Morwen's alive. Great. Because previously it just said she she vanished like she was lost to the woods or, or something like that. All of a sudden there was this like chaos happening with Glaurung and the horses were running away and she was just gone. And I was like, oh, is that just how she dies? Like what? It's so random. So I was like, oh, great. Morwen's still alive. Short lived. <laughs> yeah, for now. And he is approaching the forest where he hears her and the night sentinels don't do anything to stop him because they think he is a ghost the way that he looks and the like haunted air about him he feels like a ghost to them right and that just like goes to show how how much he's been through and how much suffering he's gone through that his just even to behold he's very terrifying yes yeah so he comes upon more when who is sitting at the top of this th the falls where where ne uh, Neonor flung herself off and killed herself, and then later uh, Turin killed himself too, and then their graveyards or gravestones were put there. Right. Um. So she is there mourning over their graves, and more when sits up and sees him and says, I've been waiting for you for so long, um, but you're too late. Our children are lost. And Huron, of course, already knows all of this. And he knows more than her, too. Because yes, he, he knows he, he knows way too much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't say he doesn't tell her like what happened to him. I thought that was really sweet of him to kind yes. of shield her from that because he the pain, kind of realized yes. how much she had gone through. And he was like, I don't I don't think you she don't needs need to know, know in yeah. detail like what happened. Yeah. So she um, because they were buried. Um, well, Neonor wasn't 
technically buried because they never found her body. But like they have the same gravestone. They have the same grave marker um, because they have that together. Morwen knows that they found each other. So she asks. Uh, so she asks Huron if he knows how. And it says, but Huron did not answer. Yeah. And they sat beside the stone and did not speak again. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? That that's the right choice. She yeah. does not need to know that her children yeah, uh, got together yeah. and created a child. Oh, my gosh. And that they're all dead. Yeah. She's like, you know what? Or he he's like, you know what? The, it also it also <laughs> mentions when he comes upon her that it's like she would go with the son. So she is very close to death. Yeah. So um, he just kind of spares her this one yes. last suffering. Like, she doesn't need to know this. Yeah. He kind of like avoid. He's like just he's like, you know what? I'm going to avoid that question and eventually you're going to die in a few hours and we're not going to have to worry about it ever again. (laughs) Yeah, like let's just have a nice peaceful last couple of hours together. Yeah, yeah. So they kind of sit, so they sit there together and grieve together and the sun is setting and then uh, she dies. (laughs) So there we go, Morwen. He creates a a gravestone for her as well and sets it beside the one for uh, Turin and Neonor. There's a really cool line in this. I would need to grab my book, but it's uh, talking about how a, um, I think it was a minstrel came or someone who makes music. I'm looking at that paragraph now. And they're talking about how uh, their graves will never be defiled even if the world were to be drowned by the ocean. And then that's basically exactly what happens. Yeah, that's what happens, yeah. Um, Yeah, it says, Tol Morwen stands alone in the water beyond the new coasts that were made in the days of the wrath of the Valar. So this... um, This, like, peak on top of the falls where their gravestones are stands the, the test of time and is still there when everything else around it falls apart. Yeah, I think that's really, it's, I mean, it's obviously really sad, but it's also really beautiful the way that um, their lives were honored in this way, even though they're, as they were alive, it was just suffering after suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of brings them, I don't know, like peace together in the afterlife, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so then Huron goes down to Nargothrond and... Remember last we left it, it had been ransacked by orcs and Glaurung and everyone was either captured or killed there. And Glaurung had hoarded all the treasure at one point. So he walks in and there is Meme, the petty dwarf who who we met in the previous chapter. He's gathering gems and treasures and... Huron walks in and Meme is like, um, excuse me, this is my, this is my kingdom now. What are you doing here? I'm the king. You're not allowed here. And Huron is like, who are you? Like, you don't, you don't, you didn't even know these people. I knew these people. I fought for these people. Who are you? And Meme says that he is the last of his people and he has come to take back, uh, to, to take the, to take Nargothrond. And is owed his um, is owed some payment because dwarves helped to build Nargothrond. Huron says, "Well, you're not going to enjoy that payment for very long," and then kills him. <laughs> well, yeah, and he's like, 
he's like, oh, you think that you're the heir to this? Well, let me just one-up you because uh, I am the father of the guy who killed the dragon. So I have more of a claim to it than you do. Yeah, I think so too. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, meme is killed. The end. <laughs> the end. Um, and it was just really funny because in the previous chapter, one of the guests and I were talking about, we're like, I wonder what happened to him because it just mentioned that he ran off after there was a, a battle. And it was like, I wonder what happened to him. And then... Well, here he is, but not for much longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Huron stays there for a few nights. I love just that image of like a completely empty, like desolate, abandoned, uh, you know, kingdom or fortress and parts of it are in ruin and there's like bits of treasure lying everywhere and like you're the only person there and that's just like so I don't know why that was like so vivid to me Um, but it it feels it feels to me just as haunted as Huron is right now yeah yeah and it's it's very like an eerie image where I can I kind of imagine everything is just being very dark and quiet Mm -hmm. and and dead yes totally um so when he leaves, it says that he bore with him out of all the great horde, but one thing only. And I was like, ooh, what was it? Was it a, a Silmaril? Was it another cursed sword of some kind? Like, what What was it? Thinking that we're not going to find out for a while. And then we find out, like, in the next paragraph. So, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right. Then he goes to Doriath. Because, of course, he knows that his family was in Doriath. So he gets there and everyone is just kind of staring at him because they're like, whoa, like we we just assumed you would die there. You look terrible, man. <laughs> um, this isn't great. And also probably knowing, you know, what happened to his family, too, that like adds to the 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 horror of looking at this guy who looks like death walk into your kingdom. Heron walks up to Thingol. And throws down the Noglamir, which is the necklace of dwarves that was made for Finrod Felagund long years before by the craftsmen of Nagrod and Belagost. So, th- and this was when I I had like a long oh, it's all moment. coming together. I was yeah. like, I see, because I remember when it was to, uh, like many many chapters ago now when it was describing Nargathron being built, and it mentioned that in this process this necklace was made, and I was like, oh, I think like I know I. I know like bits and pieces of the history between the dwarf and the the dwarf elf beef that we see, the drama that we see in uh, play out in Lord of the Rings. And I like know bits and pieces of it. And I was like, I know it has to do something with a necklace. And so this necklace came up and I was like, oh, is that important? And props to I don't remember who my guest was for that chapter but I do remember they were like "Ah, I wouldn't I really wouldn't worry about it like it so like (laughs) props to them for steering me off course and being like yeah don't worry about it don't think about it too much more so you could just enjoy it yeah (laughs) that's great yeah because you don't want to have anything spoiled for you well I mean of course the funny thing though is that like I if 
if the necklace hadn't have been brought up again in this chapter, I would have completely forgotten it ever existed. So yeah, same. It, <laughs> um, just like such a tiny detail, it was brought up again here. So he, yeah, so he flow, he throws down this necklace at the feet of Thingol and Melian. And says, receive thou thy fee for thy fair keeping of my children and my wife. So he is doing this. He's mad. Yeah, he's mad. He's doing this with a very mocking tone, being like, wow, you really took such great care of my children. Like, they're dead. And whatever happened to them caused such grief with my wife that she, she withered away and died, too. Like, good, good job, buddy. Good job. Yeah. Right. And of and of course, what he thinks happened here is also Morgoth's version of what happened, where he he darkened the the truth and he wasn't able to see what Thingol, like how Thingol was actually treating Huron and what happened and how they actually were kept safe and taken care of as as well as you can when when you're Turin Turinbar and <laughs> you think right. that you're just too dramatic for everyone else. I know. <laughs> He's very emo. He's very dramatic. Oh my gosh, yes. Well and and then Melian says as much yes. too, just in a couple paragraphs. I I love Melian. She is the best. And I think she is such an underplayed character. And there was like so much more we could have gotten out of her because she would just come in with like one liners trying to, you know, help Thingle or provide some kind of guidance and and everyone just would ignore her or, or you know, or if she was watching something, you know, go down in front of her that she's like, I could have prevented this if you had yeah, just listened so to wise, me. she's so wise and she's so prudent. And yeah, over it's... and over, she's, especially to Thingol, she's trying to counsel him. And over and over, we see him not listen to her or Ugh. or not listen to her fully if he even does. And then we see what happens. Yeah. So um, Melian speaks up and says, Morgoth hath bewitched thee. For he that seeth through Morgoth's eyes, willing or unwilling, seeth all things crooked. And so she explains what really happened, the truth, which is that um, which is that Thingol looked upon Turin as if he were his own son. Um, he's referred to as his foster son. Um, he was very well loved for and taken care for. And when he left, they did everything they could <laughs> to try and get him back. Um, and the, and him leaving wasn't even Thingol's doing. And when um, and when Morwen and Neonor came, they also were given the same, you know, pr- protection to the fullest extent that they could until they ran off and, you know, bad things happened. But they they tried really hard to protect this family. Right. Like they really did a pretty great job, all things considered. Yeah. And she ends this by saying, with the voice of Morgoth, thou dost now upbraid thy friends. And so this is kind of the the thing that shakes Huron out of it. And he's like, oh, and he he realizes what Morgoth has done by releasing him and what he has done in turn. And he's like, oh, I've ruined everything now. Right. Um, like he's burned all of his bridges kind of. Yes. Yeah. And so 
then he picks up the Nalglamir and he more properly presents it to Thingol as an actual payment and and present in way of saying thank you. Yeah, he does this in a, with a lot of humility. Yes, yeah, being like, I, I see now what I've done. He says, for now, my fate is fulfilled and the purpose of Morgoth achieved, but I am his thrall no longer. It's so sad. It's so heartbreaking. Like you can, even just in the way Tolkien writes it, you can hear how broken he is. And mm-hmm. uh, like he just realizes, oh, this is this is what has happened. And I've been a part of all of this. Yeah. And there's like, there's no undoing it at this point. Yeah. Um. So he leaves and everyone is just kind of like watching him going like, what is going on? What just happened? Because it also mentions during that conversation that normally in normal circumstances, Thingol would have been like yelling at him or fighting at finding him or, or kicking him out or something. But he could tell that there was this grief about him. And he was like, I'll be patient with this one. So everyone is just kind of watching in awe and he leaves. But it is said that Huron would not live thereafter, being bereft of all purpose and desire, and cast himself at last into the western sea. And so ended the mightiest of the warriors of mortal men. Yikes. So sad. It's so sad. This <laughs> wow. is just like, it's one thing after another for this guy and his family. And like, this is the kind of the final moment of it. And, and you can see how everyone has died now. And like, it's just so sad. Yeah, it's it's rough. It's rough and it like it just kept getting worse for him and I guess I guess all we can say now is I'm I'm glad that's over for him, you know? Right, at least he's free from the suffering. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was really yeah, it was just yeah, one thing after another, none of it good. Yeah, that that that's the tale of Huron. <laughs> the end. So sad. Oh my gosh. Back in Minagroth, Thingol is looking at the... What is... I've already forgotten what it's called. The, the Nauglamir. The Nauglamir. He's like, oh, this would be a beautiful place to store the Silmaril. Because, of course, as time has passed and he's had the Silmaril for so long, he has grown... He's grown so attached to it and and lustful for it that he won't even let it out of his sight that he won't put it in you know their storerooms or anything so he decides that the Silmaril should be set in the necklace during this time some dwarves have been traveling over from the east and coming over because they've heard about all these battles um, and they are coming to help in Minigroth and when they get there, Thingol asks them if they can set the Silmaril in the Nauglamir. Then the dwarves looked upon the work of their fathers, and they beheld with wonder the shining jewel of Feanor, and they were filled with a great lust to possess them and carry them off to their far homes in the mountains. So something's building here. Yep. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, pieces are coming together. 
All right. Here we go. Like, buckle up. Yeah. They're working a lot to... I don't think they're just working on the necklace at this point. I think they're also making some weapons and fortifying Nargothron too because but they're they're doing a lot of work and Thangle is down there watching them which I have to imagine like if you've ever worked if you've ever had like your boss watching over your shoulder or something like it's very you know what this reminds me of is in the new Star Wars when Kylo Ren is having his helmet remade and he's just standing there watching the the people re, like put the um, put it back together. Uh, I don't know why. That's just like the image that I always get in my head when he's having the Naglamir remade. Yeah, like similar energies. Yeah, yeah. He's just like obsessed with it, and he's angry and like I don't know. It's- and there's got to be like you know some some like darkness upon him because the the Silmaril is like corrupting his Absolutely, his thoughts. Yeah. You know. Um, so then the, the the necklace is done and the Silmaril has been set in it. And Thangle is like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. Thanks so much. And the dwarves are like, not so fast. By what right does the Elven King lay claim to the Nauglamir that was made by our fathers for Finrod Felagund, who is dead? It has come to him, but by the hand of Hurin, the man of Dorloman, who took it as a thief out of the darkness of Nargothrond. So here are the dwarves saying, you have no claim to this necklace anymore. The person who it was made for has now died. And by our dwarven customs, it should come back to us because we made it. Mm -hmm. It says, Thingle perceived their hearts and saw well that desiring the Silmaril, they sought, but a pretext and a fair cloak for their true intent. Um... And in his wrath and pride, he gave no heed to his peril. So I love that. That like he knows in the back of his mind that other things are going on. But he is too caught up in all of the the feelings that the Silmaril is making him have to to listen to that like more cautious side of his brain being like, wait, there's something else happening here. It's probably the voice of Melion too, back yes. in, you know, in the back of his mind. Like, hmm, what would my wife say about this? Like, uh, nah, I'll just ignore it. Oh my gosh, yes. So then he insults the dwarves and is, you know, is like, how dare you come in here and claim this, which is not yours. And in kind of a moment where it's like, Thingle, there's a lot more of them down there than there are of you. Like maybe right. <laughs> back like off. Like you shouldn't have gone down alone yeah. like, in the first place. That was his first mistake. Oh my gosh. There were a lot of mistakes that Thingle has made. Um, Absolutely. Let's be real, Yeah. Um, then the lust of the dwarves was kindled to rage by the words of the king, and they rose up about him and laid hands on him and slew him as he stood. And Yikes. I was like, whoa, that escalated quickly. Wow. It's, it's almost kind of anticlimactic, too, because usually when someone is dying, it's like Tolkien kind of draws it out a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, like, look like, at wait, the, the paragraph that we just read about Huron dying, yeah. you know, in his last days. And the same with Morwen. Yeah. So this was very sudden. But what he says, what Tolkien writes right after that is so good. Like he says, so died in the deep places of Menegroth, Elwe Singolo, king of Doriath, who alone of all the children of Iluvatar was joined with one of the Ainur. And he who alone of the forsaken elves had seen the light of the trees of Valinor with his last sight gazed upon the Silmaril. Like, that's another one of those Tolkien yeah. quotes where they just gets you. 
Yes. It, it really like packs a punch of like, this was like, remember everyone? This was an important guy. Like he he saw the light of Valinor. He was one of um, uh, listeners, if, if we could all go back in the depths of our brains to like, way, the very, way like towards the beginnings of this story. He was one of the elves that originally went to check out Valinor to see if it was, you know, safe or if, if it was a trap or anything for the rest of the elves. Um, and it was only on his way back that he, he got distracted by by Melian um, mm-hmm. and didn't continue that journey. But he still saw the, he was the only one of them that has seen the light of Valinor. Yeah, it, it, it like brings you way, way back. And then it, it's almost like you're, it's almost like you're seeing his life flash before your yes. eyes. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's it reminding like you like of you. his roots. Yeah. You know? um, so I was like, okay, I can see, I, I see now why there's this, the you know, this long feud between the dwarves and the elves. I, I see how we got there. The dwarves take now Glamir and leave Minigroth. I think on their way out. Oh, that's right. Um, they make it to Nagrod, which is another one of the um, dwarven cities. And they, I love this, they told somewhat of all that had befallen. So I love that part that it's like, they, they told what happened, but mm, sort of not really the full story. <laughs> Saying that the dwarves were slain in Doriath by command of the elven king, who thus would cheat them of their reward. Like, oh, um, great. Yeah, okay, yeah. sure. Um, I I think I, I I was probably too quick to say, oh, yeah, they left Minigroth and then got to know in that time some dwarves were killed. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, they're like, yeah, like there was this massacre and this fight and it was all at the hands of Thingol. So they're spinning, you know, they're adding to it. And it's something that the dwarves that are hearing this story they're not going to know how to how to fact check that and they're probably they're they're not even going to look into it further cuz they're just going to be like oh yeah i'm sure he did that that sounds exactly like something he would do right um, cuz they they stole our necklace too you know so that's something that i i see in so many stories um in, in pieces of fiction and folklore of like um the original like the original disagreement between, you know, two people or two families. And over time and as it's told through different people, they, they put their own spin on it or they add new details or they forget some or they just straight up lie. And then like by the time you get to, you know, Gimli and Legolas, it's turned into something different from what it originally started out as or it's, it's grown and just like domino effect snowballed from there. Right. And they pass it down and they're like, well, you know, I have heard that it was the fault of the dwarves. Well, I heard it was the fault of the elves, you know, and this this tension just grows for generations. Yes. The dwarves then uh, are going to go back and fight and they ask for help from Belagost, which is the other dwarven city. But Belagost is like, we're not getting involved in this. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So meanwhile, back in... Doriath. Melian is grieving over Thangle and we get a much lot like that those like two sentences that we read about Thangle has nothing on this paragraph about Melian and I I just love it of just like reminding us like of her 
divinity and her power and wisdom and her impact within this this world um and again yeah it kind of like takes us back through like the events of what we've seen here where it describes um she was of the divine race of the valar she was a maya of great power and wisdom but you know fell in love with thangle they had Luthien and Luthien did this thing and she made the girdle of Meliam. Um, but now she is sitting there grieving. Um, and in her marriage and union with Thingol, her powers uh, were were tied to her as a um, like tied in in the flesh because she was one of these like, quote unquote, mythical beings that could take different forms i think but in her union with thingle she became like tied to this one form and her Mm -hmm. power was stronger in this place but now that thingle is gone that's also gone and it says thus it came to pass that her power was withdrawn in that time from the forests of neldoreth and region and as Gal Duin, as Gal Duin, I think as Gal Duin, the enchanted river spoke with a different voice, and Doriath lay open to its enemies. So it's crazy, like her. Um, it seems like as she's grieving and she's becoming more detached from Arda or from Middle Earth. Right. Um, in this grief, her powers are kind of pulling back. Yeah, and I think it. Yeah, I, I think that just speaks a lot too to how cool Melian was. We should have had more of her, man. I know it's yeah, but she's like, I'm out. Yeah, so she talks to Mablong and gives him the silver. The the the. Oh, I I, I can't remember if I mentioned, but at one point, or I think on the dwarves in that battle right after they had killed Thangle and some of them were killed, I think the Nalglamir was taken back at some point. So now the uh, Doriath still has possession of it and the Silmaril. And um, so she gives it to Mablung for safekeeping and sends messengers to talk to Baron and Luthien in Osirian. And then, yeah, she's like, I'm too tired. I, I'm right. done. Bye. And it says uh, she went to the land of the Valar beyond the Western Sea to muse upon her sorrows in the gardens of Lorien whence she came. And this tale speaks of her no more. It's crazy to think about how much suffering and grief that she has gone through, especially considering the fact that she's one of the Maiar and the only one who was ever wed to one of the children of Iluvatar, so none of them at all can relate to what she's going through. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's alone in this suffering. Just, like, yes. completely alone. And, you know, to top it off, the Valar and I'm assuming the Maiar were also still over there in Valinor with, with the rest of the Valar. So she's, the, they have, like, I mean, I'm sure they know what's going on over here in Middle-earth, but... I, I feel they she's been experiencing it. You know, she's been a part of it. it yeah, her, she has like the lived experience of yeah. it, whereas they have like their messengers bring back word or or like, I mean, Olmo comes to the seas. So he he has probably a, a better picture, but most of yeah. them don't really come over to Middle Earth. Mm hmm. Um, I just 
If I was Melian, I would have gone, like, when I got over there, I would be like, we really could have used your help at a lot of different times. We really could have used your help, and you did nothing. Like, they're just over here chilling. Yeah, like, um, yeah, Olway, you helped out a little bit. Um, Everyone else, not so much. (laughs) Now what happens? Right. So since the the girdle of Melian has been broken now, and there's no power and protection over Doriath, um... The Nalgrim, the dwarves, come over and attack Doriath. There's a huge battle. Many elves and dwarves were slain, and no one has forgotten about it. Overall, the dwarves won, and they ransacked the the halls and everything, and killed Mablung. And the Silmaril was taken. Dun, dun, dun. 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 Um, yeah, so so Rip Mablung. <laughs> um, I just couldn't imagine, like, in that moment, like, um, your king has died, your queen is talking to you, and it says that she spoke to no one except for Mablung. So she's only, like, in her moment of grief, she's just talking to you, and then she gives you personally yeah. the, like, jewel that everyone has been fighting over and is like, protect it well i can't Bye. imagine how stressful yeah oh like talk about gosh, having a yeah. stressful and then, like, job the, the dwarves come swarming in and he's like i don't know what to do with this <laughs> like right. what, what do you do in that moment <laughs> i know so over uh in the east in toll gallon um is is where baron and luthien have been living we know that they have a son, Dior, and he has now wedded Nimloth, a kinswoman of Celeborn. Um, I love that name drop right there. Yeah. Oh, by Cal- the way, by the way, he's she's. I literally to had to like search my brain and be like, Celeborn, Celeborn. I was like, is that one of the sons of Feanor? Is that one? Of, like, who is that? And I was like, oh my gosh, right, like Galadriel's <laughs> husband, <laughs> right? <laughs> um. And so they get married, and they have two sons, El uh, Elured and Elu Elurin, <laughs> and a daughter named Elwing. Um, and I feel like you know she's the important one because she gets a much longer description about like her name means star <laughs> spray. She was born on a night of stars, and yeah, like you know she's the important one. Oh, here. true. Word gets over to Baron and Luthien um, about everything that's going down. Of course, Baron goes out to fight, um, and in this battle, he he's. Um, struck down again we should say because he's already died once so (laughs) yeah um so yeah he goes out to fight um and in this battle with the dwarves who have their this is the the group of dwarves that have the um now and the the silmaril in it um and he gets possession of it somehow and in his dying words he laid a it says he but he dying laid his curse upon all the treasure. Um, so which I, I feel like if you're dead, like that's pretty intense that like as you're dying, you're like, I'm going to curse all of this, you know, curse all of this, a plague on your house. Like none of this is coming from n- none well, of this is yeah. like brought any good to anyone. Yeah. Um, and he goes to a river and cleans it off. And that river became a new um, 
and Baron. Oh wait, no, that is Baron. Um, and Luthien. Um, it, it's so funny because it says like Baron fought his last fight. Um, he dying laid his curse upon, and then like it goes on to describe. He like he technically lives for another couple paragraphs. I thought he died like right then and there on the battlefield, but I wonder if it means that the Lord of Nagrod is the one who laid the curse. Oh, not totally sure. Yeah. It says in that battle yeah, by see. Sarn Othrad. In that battle by Sarn Othrad, Baron fought his last fight and himself slew the lord of nagrod and wrested from him the necklace of the dwarves but he dying laid his curse upon all the treasure yeah i guess that would be the dwarf that um cursed it yeah um but baron so yeah since baron isn't isn't dying yet that's it yeah baron sorry i'm reading like the rest of the paragraph to to you're fine yeah Double Some, check I mean, it's yeah. really vague the way that it's worded. Maybe. Oh, okay. I thought he was like injured grievously and died. I, I guess he is just getting old. And that's why it says he fought his last fight. And, and the effects from this battle lead to his death. Okay. We're, we're analyzing this a lot. Anyway. Um, so uh, Luthien is grieving for Baron, I guess, because she can sense that, that um, he, he is dying. Um, and she wears the now Glamere. And it is said that she was a vision of greatest beauty and glory that has ever been outside the realm of Valinor. And for a little while, the land of the dead that live became like a vision of the land of the Valar. And no place has been since so fair, so fruitful, or so filled with light. Now Dior goes to... Doriath, because he is technically Thingol's heir. Um, so he and his family go and take up, you know, the, the throne and leadership over there. Not for very long, though. <laughs> None Everything of this is very is short-lived. Very, yeah, yeah, it's all very short-lived at this point. While they're there, at one point, an elf comes and he doesn't say anything. He just delivers this package. And Dior opens it, and in it is the now Glamir with the Selmaril in it. And in that moment, he knows that Baron and Luthien have died um, and gone where to the race of men to a fate. Wait, yeah. And gone and gone where, sorry, I can't <laughs> read this. And gone where go the race of men to a fate beyond the world. In so, your defense, that was a really weirdly worded yeah, A lot of it is weirdly wor- worded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so rest in peace, Baron and Luthien, again. Again. <laughs> um, I kind of thought that, I mean, I guess it's been a while since, like, in terms of years passing, I guess it's been several years. If they had a son in that time who was then old enough to get married and have his own children. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it feels like, wow, Baron, you died, re- like, you were brought back to life, and it seems like you died again really quickly. <laughs> yeah, if maybe he got, like, it seems like maybe he got like 35 years or so. Yeah, I'm like, was that really worth it? Like an extra, like, you know, um, that's, uh, I don't know. If you're brought back to life, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm living another 100 years, you know? (laughs) I feel like after a while, though, you probably just get like tired of it. That's true, yeah. Now, Dior, if we're trying to figure out, you know, if it's like a game of hot potato, where's the Silmaril? Um, Dior has it now, and he picks up the necklace 
and puts it around his neck. And now he appeared as the fairest of all the children of the world, of the Edine, of the Eldar, and of the Maiar of the Blessed Realm. What a cool character to be, to be of the threefold race. Like, not everyone can oh, say yeah, that they're that's true. man, I didn't really elf, think about and that. Maiar. Like, yeah, that's cause, nuts. Because his grandma is Melian, who is a Maiar. That's yeah. right. And then his, yeah, his mom and dad are... That, yeah, that's so true. I didn't think like, about that's that. That's nuts. Like, I didn't think about it like that. That's yeah. really cool. Um, So I know what you're thinking. Okay, the Silmarils have been the Sons of Feanor's thing. Where have they been this whole time? Like, is haven't they, like, oh, didn't they openly tell Thingol that they were going to kill him if he didn't give them the Silmaril and then, you know, battle happened and everything, like... What, like, where have they been? Well, <laughs> it's said that a Silmaril of Feanor burns again in the woods of Doriath, and the Oath of the Sons of Feanor was waked again from sleep. It's almost like because this the Silmaril had been, like, kept away in Thingol's treasury and not worn openly all the time. Oh, yeah, That they were kind true. of, like... The oath was like relaxed a little bit, but now that Dior is wearing it openly, they're like, oh no, no, like yeah. that's not okay. That's so true. Cause it's like, yeah, it's like he's showing it off now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he's kind of flaunting it and they feel like they have no choice. Yeah. Cause it mentions it says, for while Luthien wore the necklace of the dwarves, no elf would dare to assail her. Now that they're, they're hearing that Doriath is, you know, there's a there's someone back on the throne there. They have a king again um, and he's wearing the Silmaril. They're like, all right, let's go. Um, so they go to Doriath and so befell the second slaying of elf by elf. Oh, no. Yikes. More kin slaying. Yay. <laughs> um, I can just hear it now. I will be using that TikTok sound. Um, you know, if I had a nickel for a ball, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> so, yeah, more kinsling. Um, and there fell, and there fell Kelligorm by Dior's hand, and there fell Kurufin and Karenthir. So, Kelligorm and Kurufin, get out of here. Absolute jerks. Glad they're dead. All right. Karen Thier, I didn't really get to know you that well. So I can't really right. say one way or the other. Um, but those two, man, I, you know, yeah. I could care less. Thank um, Oh, So, um, however, Dior and his wife are killed as well. And Caligorm, again, remember, this guy's a jerk. And his one last act of, of jerkery is he kidnaps... Dior's two sons and sets them loose in the woods and they're they're lost forever. This is like the most gutting part of honestly the whole Silmarillion to me because I have always imagined them as like little toddlers because if yeah. they were any I mean even if they were like five years old they could probably learn how to survive in the forest but like even then it, that's scary. I know but it's just like death like imagining like two little little boys just like alone i didn't it just like that yeah, it's very sad it's and too much it's too and it much says of this mathras indeed repented so i love that like I, I i mean i'm i feel really confident now saying like mathras is a bro because 
even though he's a son of uh, he's a son of Feanor, yeah, sure. But like this whole time reading the whole Silmarillion, I'm like, you know what? He kind of seems to be the best of all of them. Yeah, he like, seems like my favorite son of Feanor. Yeah, like he seems to be a pretty decent guy, and so even he you know it, it watched his brother do this and was like okay there there's a line here and you crossed it like that's not cool bro um and so he goes to look for them in the woods but is unable but is unable to find them and it says that their their fates were never known so they were just lost in the woods so forever, sad. which is yeah really sad thus doriath was destroyed and never rose again oof Um, but man, this last paragraph is just like a real kicker. I love it. But the sons of Feanor gained not what they sought for a remnant of the people fled before them. And with them was Elwing, Dior's daughter, and they escaped and bearing with them the Silmaril. They came in time to the mouth of the river Sirion by the sea. That's like a nice, a nice way to end the this horribly depressing yeah. chapter like it's okay a huge battle but it's like that last little moment of hope that that yeah. he's gonna like drop as a little i don't know cliffhanger or something like oh but they didn't they still didn't get a silmaril because it escaped with elwing and i was like and, all right and i imagine this like i feel like in so many like medieval stories it'll be like like, come with me, princess. We have to escape through the secret tunnel and, you know, like run. I don't know. Like, I just imagine like a, like I, I don't know how old they are at the time, but I imagine her as also being very young and like with her. There's a there's some people with her. And so they're all just like, come on, little princess, like, let's run and escape. And like imagining her being so brave, like that yes. just makes me want to. And I wonder I also wonder, I'm like, did Dior give her the necklace when all of this was happening being like okay keep it safe or did they die and her being smart took the necklace you know but like yeah yeah. but like either way it's like oh like this this like little act of bravery um and she reminds me of like comes from this little girl almost like a little little princess leia figure kind of from star wars like not to bring star wars into this again but I feel like that's kind of how it, like if you've seen the new Obi-Wan series where there's that little Leia, like she kind of reminds me of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was thinking of Princess Siri from The Witcher. And I mean, specifically the the like first season when literally what you were describing when they're like, all right, come on, princess, we have to escape. And they take her through secret tunnels and stuff to escape. Right. Yeah, the- it's like such a. The Classic battle. Princess princesses are always having to escape. Yeah, and they're always like the last little key of of hope or something. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I say that, but again, like like I said at the beginning of of the episode, the the rest of the chapters are not titled well. So, <laughs> I don't think much. I don't think much more positive. Uh, events are going to come out of these last couple of chapters. It's kind of all downhill from here. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's fair. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, well uh, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me. Um, like I said, I'm so glad that we finally found a date that worked for both of us because this was a great conversation. This was a really intense chapter. We we read like the root 
of the feud between dwarves and elves, which is something that I had been wondering and asking about since, uh, you know, like for the past three years now where I was reading Lord of the Rings and being like, I don't get it. Why are they so mad at each other? And, and I see, again, I mean, from like our outside perspective, we're like, come on, guys, just get over it. It was, it was times of war. Morgoth was was commanding over a lot of things like let's let it go but it was a really important chapter I think in the in the lore of Middle Earth and Lord of the Rings and I feel like this chapter kind of gets it doesn't get as much credit because it's right after Turin's story which is like a big deal and then after this you're getting closer to the end with the Arendil. But like, as I was rereading this today, I was just like, man, this is a really, really good chapter. Mm -hmm, For sure. Well, where can people find you on the internet? The main place they can find me is at teawithtolkien.com. That's where I have all the links to my podcast, my blog, our book club. Um, And then if they want to find me on social media, they can just look up at teawithtolkien on mostly Twitter, also Instagram. Um, not really Facebook. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I don't. I'm not on Facebook. I mean, I mean, I personally am, but not the podcast. Yeah. Oh wait, no, Facebook that's a lie. That's such a lie. Out. I have a face. We have a Facebook group. I forget about the Facebook group sometimes. I'm sorry, y'all. Even though I do actively, it's mostly people just like sharing memes, which yeah. I think is why I'm like, oh yeah, this is a great place for sharing memes. This is great. That's because so. I have a Facebook group too, and I don't chat like something about the way that Facebook is arranged on the page or I don't know it just stresses me out so I don't go on Facebook but I I do have a Facebook group if anyone wants to join it um it's it is also mostly memes just like yours that's what um I I feel like that's what all of the internet eventually gets down to is it's just mostly memes yeah simple joys (laughs) memes that's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBNE.org. The cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishan Designs. You can follow the podcast on social media at Talking About Pod. You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and on Instagram at MCTurndownForWhat. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron and you can go to patreon.com slash Pod. You can join the Discord server. You can even join for just $1 a month and receive a fun postcard in the mail as a token or a token of appreciation. See what I did there? Or you can become a sponsor like Christina. Christina, thank you for joining and for remaining a patron and showing your support for as long as you have, despite the fact that the material I'm covering is getting increasingly depressing. So I appreciate the positivity of being able to see that you enjoy this podcast and I appreciate your support. Yeah, I I think that that's it for our episode here. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Oh, just thanks so much for having me on. It was really fun to read this chapter again and to talk through it. Awesome. And that's what I'm talking about. 